information on the church website and the upcoming newsletter. The next prayer and next praise and worship night is January 15th. Mark your calendars and note that the time is a bit earlier than usual at 530. So go ahead and have a little greeting time now before we uh, start worship in a little while. Well, Merry Christmas once again. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship here this morning. Uh, I know many of you were here last night as well. Just what a great opportunity we have to worship Jesus, our Savior, who was born this day. So we're grateful for the opportunity to do that together, and we're going to begin our service with some special music. Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed the Savior's Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent us salvation, that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. 
it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That Jesus Christ is born. That Jesus Christ is born. Good morning and Merry Christmas. We welcome everyone here this morning as well as those that are listening on T102 and watching on Facebook Live. Let's begin our worship this morning and stand and join me in the call to worship. He came as a baby in a manger. Come, let us adore him. He came in a lowly stable. Come, let us adore him. Shepherds brought their worship. Come, let us adore him. Angels sang their praise. Come, let us adore him. Magi brought their gifts. What shall we do? Oh, come, let us adore you, Christ the Lord. Amen. And now we will continue to worship singing hymns 151 and 141 in our blue hymnal. Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss, joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. He has opened heaven's door, and man is blessed evermore. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye heed not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save, cause you one and cause you all to gain his favor lasting all. Christ was born to save, Christ. 
Christ was born to save. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praise us sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen. I invite you to pray with me now. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning on the day that we remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, we are grateful for your gift of eternal life that is found in him and in him alone. And that we know, Lord, that 
that your plan from before the creation of the world was to send your son to be our savior, to be our Messiah, to be our Lord. And so we gather this morning to worship him. We come to adore him for all that he is and all that he's done for us. And Lord God, we also thank you for your Holy Spirit, which you give us to, to guide us and direct us, to comfort us in all of our, the joys and the sorrows of life. And so we thank you, Lord, um, at Christmas time when we celebrate Jesus' arrival on this place. We also acknowledge, Lord, that in him you have come to dwell with your people. And we experience that now through the presence of your Holy Spirit as well. So, Lord, we give you all of the honor and praise and glory today and all days. And we praise you for your gift to us. Father, we come before you this morning and acknowledge the many needs that are represented in this room, as well as for those that are listening online and on the radio. We ask, Lord, that you would be the source of our comfort and strength. For those that are in need of healing, we ask that you would work in and through uh, Lord, uh, both ordinary and extraordinary means to bring about their healing. We pray that you would provide for them exactly what is needed. For those that are weak, we pray for strength. For those that are in pain, we pray for relief. And for those, Lord, that, that need direction and guidance, we pray that your spirit would guide them according to your word and your will. Lord, we also want to acknowledge um, our need for you in all, all seasons of life in our joys, in our sadness, and when things are going well and when things seem to be falling apart, Lord, we acknowledge that you are God and you are still good in each and every circumstance. And so we praise you this morning, both for your blessings and for the way that you provide for us during difficult times. And we ask that we would always know and experience your presence and your grace. Lord, we also want to pray for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do. And so this day we pray for our national government, governmental leaders. We pray for our president, the Congress, as well as the Supreme Court and other elected and appointed officials. We pray for your wisdom, wisdom beyond their means. We pray that they would have a hunger and thirst for your righteousness and that they would be fulfilled. And we ask, Lord, that you would, that the decisions that are made would be honoring and pleasing to you and for the good of of this nation and our communities. We also pray for our church family here in this place. We thank you especially, Lord, for, um, for our consistory, for our elders, our, thank you for their service to this church and their service really to you, Lord, and all that they've done. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and I want to invite Maria and the children forward for children's chat at this time. And as they're coming forward, I do want to just take one quick moment to acknowledge um, after the Christmas Eve service last night, there's always a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, and I just want to give a special thanks to Greg and Lori Kramer for the work they put in. Uh, what you guys didn't see after the service, after you guys left, was they immediately started picking up and cleaning things up to get ready for today. And that included sweeping up the salt and the wax that was on the, on the floor. So I just want to give a special thanks to Greg and Lori Kramer for their work last night, helping prepare the church for our services this morning. And of course, all that they do behind the scenes. You have a couple people, Maria. That's good, all right? 
and I have one young lady who's on her way down from upstairs, so we're just going to hang loose for just a second, wait on Miss Courtney. So are you guys having a good day? Yeah? Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah? All right. Well, I brought with me some things, you see, because I came across this story, and it talks, and it, um, well, I'm just going to start at the beginning. How about that? It says, I had a visitor about a week before Christmas, and this is what happened. I had just finished cleaning the house for the night and was preparing to go to bed when I heard a noise in the front of the house. I opened the door to the front room, and guess who was there? Santa. Santa himself stepped out from behind the Christmas tree, and he placed his finger over his mouth so that I would stay quiet. What are you doing? I asked him. The words choked in my throat as I saw Santa had a tear in his eyes. This jolly, his usual jolly manner was gone. He wasn't laughing. He then answered me with a simple statement. Teach the children. And that's what I do. I teach children. So I figured, what better children's chat? I was puzzled. What did he mean? He anticipated my question, and with one quick movement, he brought back forth a little bag. And from inside it, he pulled out a fir tree. What does a fir tree that stays green all the time, what does that have to do with Christmas? Does, does, do the leaves on a Christmas tree ever fall off or change colors? No. no. What color do they always stay? Green. green, yeah. So the fir tree remains green all year round and represents everlasting life through Christ. Okay? And if you ever take a close look at a real tree, all the branches are pointing up. So who are they pointing up to? Jesus. Yeah, they're pointing up to heaven. Okay. So then he pulled out a star. Where do we usually find a star like this? On a Christmas tree. But on Christmas night, on Christmas Eve night, where was the star shining? Above the stable. Above the stable, yes. God sent this star, this sign, to tell us about Jesus' birth and that the Messiah had come, okay? And the star is a heavenly sign from promises long ago. God promised a Savior for the world, and this star could represent the fulfillment of that promise. What do we have here? A candle. A candle. What does a candle give us? Light, right. Now, my candle doesn't work, but we can pretend that it gives light, okay? Who is the light of the world? Jesus. Yeah, Christ is the light of the world. And when we see the great light, we are reminded that Christ pushed out all the darkness, all the bad in the world, and is a light. And you know, think about it Christmas time. How many people have light? on their house, 
outside their house, inside their house. So that light is showing us that Jesus came to push that darkness out of the world. What do we have here? A wreath. A wreath. Okay. What is the shape of a wreath? It's a circle, isn't it? Yeah. Does a circle have any points? Does it have a start and a stop? No. And that's like God's love. It goes on forever and ever and ever, just like a circle goes on forever and ever. Next, we have a gift. Who was our gift? Who, what is the greatest gift that you could ever receive? Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross for us. Okay? Who brought Jesus' gifts? The three wise men. The three wise men. And what did they bring him? Gold, and frankincense, and gold. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You are right. All right. So, God's gift to us was his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life. What do we have here? A candy cane. What does it look like? A hook. A hook? From the three wise men. From the shepherd. Yeah, the the shepherds had a crook, they called it, and they had it with them kind of used as a walking stick. So that because they did a lot of walking. And sometimes those ornery sheep, they would go places they weren't supposed to go. So they would turn that around and they would use the crook part of it to help pull that sheep back out of where it didn't belong. And when we hold it like this, what does it look like? J for Jesus. Uh, You have a book about J for Jesus. All right. All right. I have one more thing. Bells, yeah. The shepherds would put bells on their sheep. That way they could hear them and they could find them easier. Okay? And so bells remind us that they are God's guidance. God is keeping an eye on us. He wants us to follow him. And so God may have a bell on us so that he can find us and know what we're doing. Okay? So, we can remember that Christmas is about a lot of things. It's not just about Christmas presents under the tree, even though those are nice. But there are so many things about Christmas. Bells and gifts and candles and stars and wreaths. And all of those things teach us and help us to remember what Christmas is really all about. So, can we say a prayer? All right. Your son to be with us. Thank you for this Christmas season that we can remember and celebrate Jesus' birthday. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Amen. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. Today, our offering goes to support the Neurological Development, the Center for Neurological Development in Burkittsville. Uh, we're just really grateful to support them again this year. Um, and we know that 
This center really depends on the, the giving and the donations of people and churches like ours uh, to continue their work. And uh, we know a few people from our community that have directly benefited from their work. So we're grateful to support them again this year on Christmas Day. So I want to invite the deacons forward to collect our offering. And if you feel, feel led to give to that or any, we encourage you to do so this morning. And our special music will be from Kay on the organ.
2, verses 21 through 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together once again. Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather here this morning to worship you, through song, through prayer, through the reading and, and study of your word now. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give, that you work in our hearts and minds to help us to know and understand who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray also that you would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, as we were preparing for Christmas, uh, we had put the kids to bed, and Allie and I went downstairs, and we started to, you know, wrap some presents for family and friends and, and get some things together, and lo and behold, we heard some footsteps coming down the stairs, and we said, Miles, what are you doing? And he stopped, you know, stopped there. We said, you can't come down here. We're doing secret Christmas stuff. And you could almost hear the smile in his voice as he said, are you wrapping presents and he did. He went back up and, and went to sleep and didn't bother us anymore that night. But the next day I was talking to him and, and he asked, he goes, so were you wrapping presents last night? And we said, well, yeah, you know, we wrapped a few presents. And he said, well, can I open them today? <laughs> no, <laughs> you cannot open them. At that point, is it Christmas is about three weeks away. You can't open presents yet. 
And he said, three weeks? That is so long. I cannot wait that long. You know, he, he was looking forward to Christmas, uh, just like many kids do because of the presents. But, he was, but for him, it seemed so long, so hard to wait to get to that point. Now, he was waiting for something good, right? He was waiting for something that he wanted to experience. There's many of us that have experienced a different kind of waiting in this room, waiting for the Lord to work and waiting for him to act according to his promises. That kind of waiting is very different, isn't it? When you're longing for something to happen and it's not happening. When you know that God has promised to do something in your life, yet you haven't seen it work its way out. That's a very different kind of waiting. Today we're going to look at the story of Simeon and Anna and their interaction with this child Jesus in the temple. So much of our focus on Christmas tends to be on the story of Christ's birth, and rightly so. And then sometimes we kind of gloss over the rest of Luke chapter 2, which describes Simeon and Anna and their interaction with Jesus in the temple. And also there's a story of Jesus as a young person in the temple as well. But we often go right from Christ's birth right to his ministry as described throughout the rest of the Gospels. But for today's purposes, I want us to slow down and reflect on what this story has to teach us, in particular what this story has to teach us about waiting on the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph, after Christ is born, they go to the temple and do what all good Jewish parents would do at that time and follow the, the rituals and the sacrifices that are described in the law of Moses. And so in these verses, you see that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, that there were certain purification rites prescribed for Mary having given birth to a firstborn son, as well as the dedication of Jesus as the firstborn male of his family. All of those, all of those rites and rituals are described in the Old Testament in Genesis and Leviticus and Exodus. And so at this point, at, in this scene, Jesus is likely over at least over one month old, as, as we would know from reading those passages in the Old Testament. And this scene tells us two things about the Holy Family. One is that they raised Jesus firmly within the established Jewish faith and traditions. Jesus was a Jew, right? He was born within that tradition and that culture, and he was, and his family raised him in that. Jesus would, of course, in his ministry, go on to challenge a lot of maybe the human presumptions that some of the religious leaders had built up over time. But it's important to note that Jesus was born and raised firmly within that Jewish tradition, and that the change he was seeking to bring about was from within that tradition itself. Jesus, as Simeon later recognizes, is the salvation that the sovereign Lord had promised. A light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. The second thing that this scene teaches us about the family is that they were very poor. Again, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, emptied himself, right? He... Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says that he who was rich became poor for our sake so that we may become rich. You know, this is represented in a practical way, speaking of their financial situation. And we know that because the, the offering of, uh, that's described here, a pair of doves and two young pigeons, was the alternative offering for those that could not afford the real thing. So Mary and Joseph were not people of means. They did not have much for themselves, yet here they were still faithfully following through 
with their commitment. And so we see here, this is Jesus' first appearance in the temple. And that temple will play a pivotal role in his life and ministry. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus visits the temple at Passover as a 12-year-old boy. And that's, that's a whole different story that's kind of interesting to read, right? As, as his family goes for Passover and they start to head home, Jesus remains behind in the temple. It takes them a whole day to figure out that they're missing their 12-year-old son. And when Mary and Joseph go back, they find him three days later still in the temple, sitting with the teachers, asking him questions. And they were all amazed at his learning. Later on as an adult, Jesus would visit the temple and drive out the money changers and merchants who were taking advantage of the people coming to worship. His ministry became a point of controversy. Obviously, we all know that. The religious leaders did not understand who Jesus was or what he came to do. And so they planned to kill him and put an end to his ministry. But that's a story for another time and another holiday, right? Today, we'll focus on Jesus' first visit to the temple when he was just a small infant. On that day, he was welcomed by two faithful individuals, Simeon and Anna. They recognized Jesus as a long-expected Messiah. They both praised God for his faithfulness and his salvation. Now, these two individuals are both described as very faithful people, both committed to the Lord and both, learn, both people who learn to wait on the Lord. In Simeon's case, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so he was waiting on God to fulfill that promise. Anna was in a very different situation. The text here describes her as a prophet, but as one who had experienced tragedy in her life. She was an 84-year-old widow who lived in the temple, having lost her husband at a very young age. And it says here that she worshipped day and night, praying and fasting. Both Simeon and Anna had learned to wait on the Lord. Simeon was waiting for that yet-to-be-fulfilled promise. And I'm sure there was times he wondered whether God would follow through on his word. Before the birth of Christ in the history of, of God's people, there was a 400-year period of what we can call silence from God, although we know God was certainly still active and working. But there were no recorded prophets or divine activity as we see it in our Bibles. There's about a 400-year gap between the close of the Old Testament and the start of the new. The Old Testament essentially ends on a cliffhanger. God brought his people back from exile. They rebuild the temple. The prophets promise a Messiah who will rule on David's throne with justice and righteousness. But then 400 years go by and the promises are left unfulfilled. That's why passages like 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 are important. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Have you experienced God's silence in your life? Have you experienced the time of unfulfilled expectations and promises? then you could probably relate to what Simeon was going through. Or maybe you relate more to Anna, a woman who had lost so much in her life. I'm sure her life did not turn out the way she expected. When she was married, she probably, her and her husband probably had expectations and dreams of what their life would look like. 
you know, I'm sure she being widowed after just seven years of marriage was not part of that plan. I'm sure her life did not turn out the way that she expected it to. Widowed at a young age, and she likely lost everything. Many of you have experienced tragedy like that in your own life, maybe one form or another. Your world has been turned upside down, and you're not sure what to do or how to be six. You know, 46, 1, 2, and 3 says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. But then the verses go on to describe the scene where it's like the world is literally falling apart around them. Sometimes you have maybe felt like your world is falling apart and you're unsure where to turn. Whether you're waiting on God to fulfill a promise or like Anna, you've experienced tragedy and you're waiting and waiting and hoping on the Lord, we need to learn to wait faithfully and patiently on Him. G. Campbell Morgan once said, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not an abandonment of effort. Simeon and Anna were not being lazy. They didn't give up on the Lord. They waited patiently and faithfully for the Lord to fulfill His promises. They demonstrated their faith through their obedience, their trust, their active anticipation, and their faithful commitment to the Lord. So I want to explore those four things briefly with you here this morning. First, we need to understand that part of waiting patiently, waiting faithfully for the Lord, is to wait in obedience. Simeon here is described as a righteous and devout man. Those two words are important because they describe two dimensions of Simeon's obedience. Righteousness described his behavior towards other people. He was he did what was right. At its very core, that's what righteousness means, to do the right thing, to be defined by someone who does what is right. And so Simeon is described as a righteous man, which means that he did what was right in relation to other people. But he's also described as devout, which is another way to talk about his righteousness, not necessarily towards others, but in, in his relationship with the Lord. He was committed to the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord in all the things that he had done. And you can see that by the way that he, he was um, active in the temple and worship and looking forward to what God had promised to do. And those two dimensions of righteousness, right, in our relationship with God and our relationship with others can be summed up in what Jesus called the great commandment. Right? When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment of all was, he said really two things, but they're two sides of the same coin. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those were the, that, that Jesus said is the greatest commandment of all, and that all the law and all the prophets hang on those two things. And so Simeon here is described as a person who is essentially living out that great commandment in his righteousness towards others, in his devotion to the Lord. And so Simeon gives us an example of how to wait on the Lord and that is to continue to do what the Lord desires for us to do. Obedience means doing what is right, even when it's hard, when there are no immediate results. The text doesn't exactly say how old Simeon was at this point. You know, we often think of Simeon as an old man who had been waiting on the Lord, and that very well could be so. But we don't know exactly how old he was. But whether it was a few years or several decades we know that he was a person who waited patiently for the Lord to fulfill his promises. And as he was waiting, he was willing to be obedient. He, was, 
he remained obedient to God through the years and years of unfulfilled promises. So we must wait with obedience. The second thing that Simeon demonstrates for us is that we wait by trusting the Lord and his leading in our lives. It says here that Simeon was a person moved by the Holy Spirit. Three times in three consecutive verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as being active and working in Simeon's life. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Messiah. And it was the Holy Spirit that actually prompted Simeon to go to the temple that day so that he would encounter Mary and Joseph and the child Jesus. So the Holy Spirit was active and and leading Simeon, but Simeon's response was one of trust, right? He was willing to trust what God was doing in his life, what God was revealing to him through his Holy Spirit. Simeon trusted God, what God had revealed to him and prompted him to do. So we can learn, like Simeon, that it's important for us to trust God even when it's difficult and even when you don't see the whole picture of where God is leading you. All right, Simeon probably had a whole lot of questions when, when, when God revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Messiah with his own eyes. He might have even wondered why the Holy Spirit was prompting him to go to the temple that day, but yet Simeon trusted and obeyed. Sometimes I think like when, when God uh, guides us, when he leads us, it's like the headlights on a car. Right, and, and we know that those are very important, especially during these winter months when it gets dark out real early. I know sometimes you're driving to work in the dark and sometimes you're coming home from work in the dark and those headlights are very important to help you get where you're going. But as you turn on your headlights and you're driving on the road, it doesn't reveal everything there is to see, right? Those headlights reveal what's coming up in front of you, but only to a certain point. It doesn't reveal everything off to the side and it doesn't reveal everything above you. It shows you just enough so that you can continue driving safely. And as you move further down the road, the headlights continue to reveal more of the road in front of you. And I think that's kind of like what God's will is in our lives. He doesn't always give us the whole picture. He doesn't reveal everything to us. We may not understand, right, what's going on in the peripheral. But he shows us what we need to keep going. He shows us what we need to take that next step of faith and obedience. And so our response is to trust and keep taking that next step in faith as he continues to reveal his will to us. And we see here in this passage that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, are always working together to accomplish his purposes. It was the Holy Spirit who moved Simeon to reveal God's plan to him. It was the Father who is the sovereign Lord who fulfills his promises. And it was the Son, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, and the salvation of God for all people. So we need to learn to believe that he is sovereign and good, sometimes even when the evidence points to the contrary. After decades of unfulfilled promises, after decades of of hurt and tragedy and, and wondering how to recover from that, they learn to trust God in and through their circumstances. And one more thing before we move on to the next point. We also need to be willing, part of this trust that I'm talking about here, 
is being willing to trust what God says in his word and through his Holy Spirit and not trust ourselves and our own feelings and our own desires. Scripture is very clear, both in the Old and New Testament, that, that we can't always trust ourselves, right? Because we have been affected by sin. Our minds, our hearts, our, our attitudes, right? It's all affected by sin. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? So, so we can't just follow our heart. We can't just do what we think is best because sometimes what we think is best for ourselves isn't actually what's best for ourselves. Part of trusting God in his timing and in his promises is to trust in his word even when it overrides what our desires are in our own hearts because God's word will accomplish what it's intended to. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 9 through 11 says, as the heavens are as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the out from my mouth, I will not, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. So part of trusting the Lord in all circumstances is examining your own heart and motives. Right? We know and believe that God will never contradict himself. He's not going to change his mind or go against his word. And his word will never fail to accomplish its purposes. So as we, as we learn to wait on the Lord and trust him, make sure you're trusting in God's word and not your own desires. And so we, we, we wait in obedience, we wait in trust, and third, we wait in active anticipation of what God will do. Simeon was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. This Messiah who would save and restore God's people. And we know, of course, the whole story. This child that Simeon sees in the temple will grow to become the man who goes out and heals many and teaches people about the kingdom of God and calls people to repentance and to follow him. And the man who will eventually die on the cross for our sins and rise again to eternal life. Simeon, through God's promise understood that this child would accomplish all of that and at great cost to himself he, he alludes here to the fact that jesus will face opposition that he'll cause the rising and falling of many in israel in other words he's really going to turn some things upside down for people and their understanding of who god is and what his plan is to do what his plan is to accomplish that salvation and he even comments that mary herself will suffer her jesus Jesus' own mother will have to watch him suffer and die, and she will grieve for him like any mother would grieve for her child. And so we, too, need to be on the lookout for what God will do in our lives. Simeon was looking forward to God fulfilling his promise that he would see God's Messiah with his own eyes. We need to be willing to be actively anticipating what God is going to do in our lives because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And it may come when we least expect it. Simeon obeyed and trusted God, yet he probably didn't expect to see the Messiah that day when he walked into the temple. We must never doubt the Lord's timing. He will be faithful to fulfill his promises. It just may come when we least expect it. As you all know, one of my favorite books, and then a 
movies is Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene that's actually in the movie that's not in the book, but I think it describes this idea very well. The very beginning of Fellowship of the Ring is as Frodo is waiting and, and he, sees, uh, he sees Gandalf coming into, into the Shire. And as he approaches Gandalf, the wizard, he says, Gandalf, you're late. And Gandalf responds, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He, he arrives precisely when he means to. And I think that sums up God's timing in our own lives as well. Right? God's never late. He didn't forget about us. He's not failing to fulfill his promises. He will fulfill them, but in his own timing and in his own way. Our job is to trust, to obey, and to look for him with active anticipation. And finally, the last example that we see here is actually from the prophet Anna. And that is to learn to have a faithful commitment to the Lord, even in the waiting. She was 84 years old. She's widowed at a young age, but yet it says that she never left the temple courts. She worshiped day and night with prayer and fasting. She probably had a lot of opportunity to give up, to be mad at God, to turn her back on him. But instead, she chose to remain faithful and commit her entire life to the Lord. So the example that we must learn is to keep seeking him, keep worshiping him, keep leaning into him and our relationship with him, even when he remains silent or seems to be silent and distant. Another example we see in scripture of this is, the, is, is of course, Job. Job is a man who lost everything, his children, his wealth, his property. He eventually goes on to lose his very own health. And yet this is his response in Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshiped and said, naked, from, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Anna remained faithful to the Lord, continued to worship, continued to pursue him, even in her hurt. And Job did the same thing. And they both set examples for us on how to wait actively and patiently for the Lord. See, Jesus is worth the wait. Jesus is worth the wait. Because all of God's promises are fulfilled in him. Second Corinthians 120 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Everything that God promises in his word from Genesis to Revelation is fulfilled in Jesus. His provision, his salvation, his presence, his comfort, all of that finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. So all of God's promises are fulfilled in him and he is someone who will never let you down. You may have been let down a lot by other people in your life. You probably have let yourself down. I know I have. But Jesus will never let you down. In Philippians 1, 3 through 6, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will fulfill his promises and he will not leave you hanging. Right? Next week, many of you will probably make New Year's resolutions, right? 
Think of all those promises you've made to yourself at the beginning of January. Gym memberships and exercise equipment that never get used. Bible reading plans that never quite make it past Leviticus. Right? We make promises to ourselves and others that we can never fulfill. But God isn't like that. He is faithful to his word and to his people. He will complete the good work that he started in you. And finally, he'll never abandon you. He's worth the wait because Jesus will never abandon you. And that's a repeated promise we see in the Old Testament and ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Despite Israel's failures, the old God chose to dwell with them. First in the tabernacle and then the temple, those structures were physical representation of God's presence among his people. Yet we receive something even greater under the new covenant. The birth of Christ was the beginning of something entirely different. God no longer dwelt in a temple as if any temple built by human hands could possibly contain him. Now in Christ, God dwells with his people in bodily form. That's why Jesus is also called Emmanuel, God with us. And during his ministry, Jesus promised something even greater, that after his resurrection and ascension, he promised to send his Holy Spirit to live in all born-again believers. And doesn't get, God's presence doesn't get any closer than that. And when Christ returns, he'll bring heaven down to earth. And the new heavens and new earth, God and his people will dwell together forever. There'll be no more sin or the effects of sin because God will make everything new. And all of this is possible. All of it is made real for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. On Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And we remember that Christmas always points forward to Easter. At his birth, Christ was placed in a borrowed manger because there was no room for him anywhere else. And at his death, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And now both of them are empty. Advent is a season of waiting and anticipation. We celebrate the birth of our Savior, and we also look forward to his return when he will make everything new. And so for now, we wait. We wait for the Lord to fulfill his promises to us, and we trust he will do. And so let us wait with obedience, with trust, with active anticipation and with faithful commitment to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is such an encouragement to us. We thank you for the faithful example of people like Simeon and Anna who learned to wait patiently on you and for the other individuals in our lives, Lord, who have been examples of that for us as well. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to wait on you. We know that you will fulfill your promise. We know that you are worth the wait. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand and join us as we close our service by singing hymn number 125, Joy to the World.
to you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Merry Christmas, and you may go in peace.